the more people you talk with and the more people you meet, it, you get a new perspective about everything. And gender is just one of those other things. Hi there. Welcome back to Non-Binary Gender, Scholarship and Experience. This is Peyton. And this is Phoenix. Today, we'll be diving into some of the ways that gender is constructed around binary culture and the consequences of that. Yes, so even though non-binary people center their identities and experiences outside of the binary, people across the globe still perceive these various ways of performing gender within a binary operating system according to their culture. This is especially true in considering gender hierarchies. And this is my hot take that I spit out every couple of years. Trans men buy into masculinity and are rewarded for it. Trans women sell out of masculinity and are punished for it. It is easier for someone who looks like me to operate in the world as a man or just being masculine presenting in general. I think what Biff says here is really insightful of his own lived experience while also delving into common occurrences for other trans folks. The expectation of performing masculinity despite your assigned sex or gender is absolutely present in patriarchal cultures. Yes, and we even see this within the binary gender system. You know, women have to take on these stereotypically masculine roles throughout their lives in order to be seen as powerful or respectful rather than just being seen as having those characteristics in the first place. I know how men think about women. I know what kind of attitudes they have and keep behind closed doors. It was something that kept me from coming out. So this idea of masculinity being rewarded and femininity being punished translates into the presentation of trans and non-binary people and affects the social pressure of coming out. Exactly. And we even found that in our research, an article from 2008 that talks about the differences in the age of first presentation of gender nonconforming identities. And we find that for gender nonconforming or gender queer people and folks who transition from female to male, both of these groups come out at about the age of 18. And then when you look at male to female, this group tends to come out and like start presenting themselves as their true gender around the age of 30, which is just a huge difference between the other groups. And I think this is still like reflecting that. Right. That gender hierarchy we talk about, like gender as, you know, a tool of power, essentially. Exactly. Um, And gender is used as a tool of power in other cultures as well, including economic power even. Um, So in Albania, for example, families would go so far as to socialize their female child with a male gender And these transmasculine folks are called sworn virgins. And by doing this, the accumulation of generational wealth and power can continue through the sworn virgins, even if there are no sons or other patriarchs in the family. Yeah, and this pervasiveness of masculinity can also be found when you take a look at Indonesian tomboys, spelt with an I. Toms are assigned female at birth, but embody masculine roles in nearly every part of life and identify as men in public. However, when in family-oriented spaces, Toms take on feminine positions as a way of toning down their masculinity. Their families are fully aware of the fact that they are tomboys and accept it, so traditionally feminine clothing is not enforced. And tomboys handle themselves like men in public, so they are able to take advantage of the perks of being perceived as a man. They can stay out late with friends, work, and have the same autonomy as their brothers and male kin have. And our societies have been built in a way where gender nonconforming people are perceived as less of a threat to the order of things if they are stepping into masculinity rather than stepping away from masculinity. 
Yeah. And one of the interesting things about Tom's, too, is how the language has evolved so rapidly. Because when this research was written, tomboys were using she and he combined as a pronoun. But now it's common for tomboys to use they, them, or she, her pronouns. Yes. Speaking of language, the Yoruba language had no gendered terms at all. Instead of describing people in terms of their gender, like man or woman, people are described in terms of their position to society. So, for example, elder or youth would have different terms. And as the language was translated to gendered frameworks, a binary gender was forced upon it. The research found that as Yoruba-speaking societies, such as Nigeria, entered the global academic community, they began learning and discussing in English to match the dominant language of scholarship around the world. As Yoruba people began seeking out opportunities at prestigious academic institutions, those individuals that Western society saw as male received more opportunities, creating a Yoruba scholarship dominated by the men that Western academics selected for higher education. These male individuals began attributing masculinity to the previously genderless Yoruba gods and ancestors in their religious traditions. Right, and this obviously had an effect on female members of Yoruba society who were now under Western influence and socialized as women. So they would now inhabit the same underprivileged space relative to their male counterparts that women throughout the world do. So there are examples all over the world of both binary and non-binary genders being used as a tool of dominance. But despite this, communities of marginalized genders form out of a necessity for support, comfort, and camaraderie. Some research that we found goes into this a little bit more through analyzing the ways in which non-binary youth express themselves through art, for example. One of the main takeaways from their focus group was the youth's comfort and ability to talk about their struggles with not conforming to the gender binary. It was easier for these kids to talk about themselves and what matters to them in a space where people get it. I went to drag shows pretty early. Like I was sneaking into the gay bars when I was 17. I wasn't even drinking. I just wanted to be there. So my friends would sneak me in. And yeah, some drag performers end up coming out as trans because drag ends up being part of the journey for them. Drag was actually part of mine. I was a little baby drag king for like two weeks. I wore too many ace bandages. I hurt myself and then I never did it again. So this example from Biff of community in drag shows and, you know, drag communities and gay bars shows that despite the traumas that are inflicted on gender nonconforming people by binary hegemony, communities and subcultures still have risen nonetheless to share their experiences and their knowledge and their joy. Yes, exactly. Non-binary experience isn't just defined by its trauma. The joy is so, so important for these communities to survive and thrive. Thanks for listening to Non-Binary Gender, Scholarship and Experience. Join us next time for more discourse on the non-binary experience.